Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for joining in again for another episode. Today, I'm sitting down with Ollie Crosley, and I'm super excited because I've been watching Ollie's work, like a few of the guests in the past, on Instagram and use this as kind of a platform to reach out, which is something that I really love about that platform. And was really just picking up, um, a, you know, a really cool vibe around what he was doing. Um, obviously to me, I could see that he was involved in physiotherapy and, uh, his yoga practice as well. And was seeing him share a lot of work around mindfulness and meditation. And then in particular, what I loved was, uh, his, you know, approach in terms of the physio work, a lot of what I was seeing around things like lower back pain and injury and pain in general was, I guess, against or counter to what I had seen growing up, but very much in line with kind of a lot of the ways I think about pain and, and bringing in this mental emotional component as well. So I'm really excited to flesh this out. And I think we'll be talking a little bit on business uh, and a little bit on the work he's doing now up there, because I think he's going to be leading his field from what I can see early. And, and then some of this pain stuff as well, which I think will be super interesting. Ollie, thanks so much for carving out the time up there on your Friday to join in. How's everything going? No, thanks for chatting with me. Everything's pretty good. It's a nice sunny day on the Gold Coast and uh, the beaches, some of them, are still open. Yeah. And um, where exactly are you on the Goldie? I am with my girlfriend here at Mermaid Beach, just yep. about the middle of the Gold Coast. Yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah, I did some work uh, interning when I was at uni with a, a company and I lived at the founders like kind of apartment thing at Mermaid Beach. Cool spot. You could surf at like four thirty in the morning or something ridiculous through summer. Yeah. Oh, the sun goes up so early. It's a good spot. Yeah. So this is your second podcast uh for the week. How did that feel, the first one? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh and second podcast ever. Uh, it was last week some friends of mine who run a, a company called Trademark. Um, they, it's a, a tradey, colorful tradey t-shirt clothing company that supports men's mental health initiative. Yeah. And they've got a great podcast and yeah, I got to chat with them on there just about general positive coping mechanisms that Aussie blokes can, can learn. Um, yeah. And it was really, it was a really good discussion. I really enjoyed it. And now, yeah, I'm lucky enough to join you today. Two, two in a row. So maybe let's kick it off on that because I think, you know, one thing that's already popped up twice is this, this link between, um, you know, uh, mental, emotional states, positive or, or mental well-being. Maybe there's mindfulness links. And I, I know there's a complex web we could go here for days, but what sort of originally kicked you off on this awareness or this way of thinking or, or viewpoints around, you know, you're, you were, you were by kind of professionally, um, a physiotherapist, I guess, in inverted commas. Um, yet there's this big thread that's weaving through from yoga with the physical asanas, but then also meditation and mental, emotional wellbeing. How did that all start? What was your sort of first like, Oh, kind of thread that you went down with that stuff? Growing up, I don't know if I was a bit more of an emotionally sensitive kid. Actually, probably definitely was. And I just, like everyone, bought into the messages of my culture and 
you know, you get certain things and then you'll be happy and, and then that sort of hangs around. And something that struck me first was the more ideas around mindfulness that come out of Buddhism and yoga and this idea that, you know, not everything lasts and there's a nature of impermanence to a lot of things. And so uh, I looked, was lucky enough on a trip to India for a gap year project after high school to, to be given this book to make me more familiar with Tibetan culture before I took up an English volunteering job. And I, and this book was about Tibetan Buddhism and it just woke me up to a lot of the processes about how we work and pretty universal truths about, you know, how our mind works and how that can either hijack or help us in, in, a, in overall well-being. Um, and then long story short, <clears throat> coming back to Australia, I, I, I felt a pull towards a yoga practice, finding a yoga practice and, and went to this studio in my hometown in Townsville. And then when I started uni at Melbourne Uni, I, I got really into yoga and was just amazed at the effects it had on my body and how my mind and how good I felt and how it could be done just on my own and I didn't need to buy too many things or just it was a de-shedding of a lot of conditioning mainly mentally and then that just it's been a rabbit hole since then uh I I, I shifted degrees I was studying economics and and Chinese at Melbourne Uni and I went to my back to where my parents lived in Townsville and got into the physiotherapy program there and then my yoga practice and study sort of weaved with the physiotherapy degree towards the end where I, I finished a yoga teacher training program with some brilliant Ashtanga teachers, style of yoga I predominantly come from. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I started teaching and, and just got interested and realized that we need quite simply two things, more movement of the body and, and more stillness of the mind. Mm-hmm. What led you to pursue, I guess, the physiotherapy and continue down that road, you know, sort of like the, the university road and go that way versus, you know, you had at the time already this sort of budding practice and kind of really deep, starting to get deeper into the shtanga and um, the, the principles that you discovered over in India. What kind of kept you into the clinical setting or into that, um, I guess, you know, more Western sort of way, so to speak? Um, I look back and I'm very grateful, but I don't know. Uh, I'm going to credit my late mum at keeping me in the degree and and giving me the idea. My grandmother, my late grandmother, I never got to meet her, my mum's mum. She was a physio uh, who graduated from Sydney Uni at the beginning of the profession back in World War II. She had a lot of people with polio. And so I always knew that she was quite an academic and smart lady. And I I looked, you know, I didn't know meet her, but from what I knew of her, I admired that um, rational thinking and that from Western uh, traditions. It comes from a lot of places, but then my mum kept me in the degree and it was a real struggle. But now I'm, now that I'm finished and practicing the, the skills I've got in, in critical thinking and empirical research and, and basing our practices off what works, not just what we believe in mm. uh, has been uh, invaluable because a lot of dogmas and accepted truths I had 
have showed themselves to be not as helpful. Uh, yeah. And I think we all struggle with that. Yeah. So what's lighting like to maybe to walk us through, cause I want to, I want to find out what's sort of lighting you up now and sort of the direction you're on with this kind of more recent pivot or, or trajectory. Uh, but what talk us a little bit about the physio experience you had. Cause one thing that I did like that I used to see when you would post up the uh, stuff around some of the clients you'd work with was this concept of like physio with a finish line and you were taking people through to kind of an end point and there seemed to be a little bit of points of difference where you would celebrate kind of the, the end stages of sort of hands-on treatment or working with the client. Talk us to a little bit about your clinical experience, professional experience in the setting, what you, what you learned, what you loved, what didn't work so well. Um, maybe flesh that out a little bit because I think it could help us, you know, into the next phase. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I graduated physio nearly two years ago and went straight into private practice. I really like musculoskeletal physio, the physio that most of us are familiar with. And I got a job down here at a wonderful practice uh, called Pogo Physio, uh, Mermaid Waters. And they really stuck out for me uh, because I knew I wanted to practice in a certain way, <laughs> coming off some wonderful mentors I've had uh, who've showed me where physio was going. And it was in this really person-centered uh, coaching interactive uh sort of model rather than this um very top-down interactor i'm the mechanic on you rather than mm. your coach and your guide and pogo was really leading this in, in an outcomes-based approach they they had uh, their thing is physio with a finish line mm. and uh getting people to where they want to be and making that a definitive goal and really creating this process around it so i started there uh, in January last year and it was yeah with under Brad Beer a really well-known physio in Australia who who founded all of who founded Pogo in this process and it was an invaluable learning experience uh, the team there the process I got uh, like for example when you go to see a physio it's very often in private practice due to the financial drive of it all that you'll get quite short appointments and this sort of detracts from what I think and definitely what Brad showed me was the amount of time required to get someone's story because mm. often it's their story and why, the why that they're there that matters so much more than just the pain or the niggle or the mm. physically apparent problem. And so we got a full hour and someone showed up to our clinic to work through and talk through what was bothering them and not just the pain, but why, how it was affecting them, why they were here. And then that meant that we could really get uh, a good relationship going to then plan out what was required to get them back to their physical best. Yeah. When you were in this space, what were the like little, you know, one thing that I talk a lot about, I'm really passionate about is, is language and internal narrative. And it links obviously very heavily to story and past mm -hmm. experience and these sorts of things. How much, you know, how did it really change your trajectory when you started to listen to these people for an hour and start to look at pain and tension and language and what you were hearing and like how far did that kind of did that did that sort of like really flip you out like was that like a massive thing and sort of like whoa this is this is huge or was it just kind of like a little bit of a, oh yeah, there's a little something in here. Like how heavily does that play into 
the way that you think about pain now and how you work with people now? Yeah, I, our training is very biomedical. And so as soon as there's a pain or a problem, it's very instinctual for us and doctors and most other biomedical professions to look straight to the tissue. And yet we forget what I, and it was a big wake up, as you said, it was a quite a big wah moment uh, towards middle of last year where a bunch of things came together. And I knew that pain wasn't just a tissue issue. It came from a mixture of what we call bio, psychological and social factors. But what I often, I feel like it should be called the socio-psycho-bio model rather than the bio-psycho-social model. Because we're social beings. We evolve together in, in clans and clubs and our interactions with each other and the language we use with each other is paramount. So when it comes to pain and helping people with that, uh, listening, shutting my mouth and he hearing their story and the words they use to describe things, I would get uh, tons of information without having to ask 20 individual questions. I could just ask one good open question, sit back and get it all. Mm. Mm. Interesting. What... Um what do you see like when you that just kind of gets me thinking about now if you put social uh biophysical is that the order that you were suggesting yeah so if you got yeah, that if you got that now when you see you know obviously things have changed you professionally right now but do you see this as like an interesting time obviously that we're through going through at the moment where the the main kind of cleaver came down in the middle of the social um arm of those three like what's it well, how do you kind of see this stuff playing out with this isolation and everything yeah it's been really tricky um i unfortunately haven't been able to see the front end of it too much although my new role in some age more age care has shown me just how much the isolation affects people but my girlfriend is a practicing psychologist and she's been sitting here right in this room doing zoom calls now rather than in person and just from her clinical work, we've noticed how much the keeping everyone at home has had an effect on us all. Because we really, even for the introverts out there, I think they'd be feeling a sense of disconnection and longing for social interaction. And the trickle-down effects that can have on our, I mean, our life, but even just our physiology on a range of levels is very paramount. Like you can be, if you're in a more stressed or fight or flight state, it tends to be, for example, pro-inflammatory and some old injuries or pains or problems that you had in the past might more easily arise in this time. Mm. Yeah, then we've got even a knock-on going forward too, don't we? We don't exactly know how it'll play out over a prolonged period. Mm. God knows. So talk to us a little bit about... Uh, the work, I mean, as much as you want to, you're now, you're now changing a little bit. I'm interested in, is this new shift in where you're going professionally? Maybe talk to us about that, um, how that came about and what you're, what you're moving into, kind of like the work that you're lit up about, knowing what you now know, having seen what you've seen with all of this background. So this COVID uh, crisis and what it's done to the physio profession has meant that I've had to shift work for the meantime just to keep everything going I've taken on some aged care work uh, locally and I'm also in the process now with the spare time I've got to 
do what I've been longing to do for quite some time, which is unite these worlds in a way that I think hasn't been done properly yet from of yoga and, and traditional Eastern traditions of pra or practice, I guess, uh, you know, Zen, yoga, all these variants of Buddhism with modern pain science and rehabilitation science. And, and that's coming together into this brand or idea that I'm going to launch soon called yogic physio yeah where where i'm not just providing consultation services for for anyone really in their pain and problems but particularly in the yoga and movement world but also some education uh like you mentioned before things on my instagram videos about what the latest rehabilitation research shows is useful and what it might not be so you know some old ideas around posture or the right muscles to switch on that just don't help us anymore and and frankly were were wrong yeah cool um so talk to us like what does this look like i want to go deeper into um into how that looks what triggered it like you're talking about things that we we thought which are wrong and so this is a play you know kind of like a channel for you to not to counter that but to open up new insights and open up new ways of thinking around it and sharing it um what it what does this look like in terms of the vehicle like if i come in to see because this excites me i i've you know i talk to a lot of people in the health and wellness osteos and i see i remember you know getting getting treated in physio the old way, New South Wales Institute of Sport. And I went in like with Achilles injury, that sort of thing. And then there's like, there's an obvious shift that's coming and what you're talking about seems like right on the front. What, like go deeper in that. What would, what would that look like if I come in to see you? Um, what do you do? What's the approach now uh, with the person? So, a good place to start might be some of the injuries that I had during uni that bothered me and I wasn't quite efficient enough or knowledgeable enough to treat them myself yet. And so like I've had issues with uh, proximal or hamstring tendon into the buttock pain that um, like most tendon issues, they follow a similar pattern and quite annoying and, and limiting um, with whatever you're doing. Runners can get it. Yogis can get it. And, and it can prevent you from doing what you love. And so I used to go and see physios and, and a couple of osteos and they'd do all these physical massages or, or, or dry needling or acupuncture. And I'd get relief for maybe a day or two, sometimes not at all, and pay them quite the fee for it. And it never really resolved. And it wasn't until I'd read into the research and learnt that uh, strength training was required and this took a process and it was a gradual load building capacity building process and then now it's gone and so my intent for people is to provide quite honestly a a, a bargain when it comes to a rehabilitation service because i don't want to see you like mm. any good physio osteo chiro i don't want to see you three times a week for the rest of the, the next three months i want to see you the, the least amount of time required to get you where you want to go and that means empowering the person through what we know is best for their particular injury in the research and also uh, giving them the exercises and progressive movement plan. And, and those two things combined are all that we need to get people where they want to go. This massage and, and physical techniques can be useful. However, in, in this time where we're pushed to be at home 
and only use virtual consultations, let's say, we can still get people where they want to go. We can mm -hmm. still help them. So if someone was to say, uh, contact me for an injury, I would figure out more about what their big picture was around their life so that I could understand where their stresses were coming from, not just on a physical level, what their job required, what their family life, uh, occupation, everything. And then where the missing factors were. And often it can be something as changing their sleep schedule a bit and giving them some strength exercises and telling them that from what I know, it's all going to be okay. Mm. And then often it, it's not that long until they're back to where they want to be. Mm. I'm interested in that bit where you said telling them it's all going to be okay and linking that back to the social aspect. And I'm kind of thinking in my head, like how important is, I mean, I got a few questions out of this, that bit you said, but how important is, you know, you don't want to see them over and over and over. However, like this, just being with the person, uh, speaking with them, having a calm energy with them, being present with the, with the client or the person that you're seeing, um, the reassurance, the help with the narrative and the language, like how important is that to, you know, will you have group classes to help facilitate that? Or is there a way to, cause I feel like this is all coming back to kind of connection being this healing process as well. And it's making me just kind of want to go and if I had an injury kind of go and sit with you and just talk about it for a bit, as well as the physical, what, what's, what's going on there? How important is that? And how will you kind of facilitate that if you don't want to see them um, too often? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a paradox. So it comes down to what the person wants and needs and uh, a good place to start with this would be where we've gone wrong. And there's this wonderful term that encapsulates it. Many of us have heard of placebo before um, where we have something and it creates an effect, not necessarily related to the causal factor itself. So let's say we take a sugar pill and it relieves our pain. Now out of that, we've got this thing called nocebo. And it's the 90s, 80s rehab professionals. Uh, and nocebo, when we say stuff to people uh, that creates a negative perception about their body that um, can heighten their experience or keep their experience of pain or injury around. And so what the antidote was that, to that was honest, clear communication and connection, as you said. So most of the time, the body is really good at fixing itself. And what's required, because we know, uh, it's probably good to explain a bit about how we feel pain here. Like I said, we used to blame pain on, on physical structures and they are still important, but these psychological and social factors can have a big uh, impact And the work of two amazing, and I mean, there's hundreds of pain scientists, but two amazing people, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler, two Australian physiotherapists have done a lot of work in this field and created wonderful resources and books called Explain Pain and Painful Yarns. And they've made us realize that pain isn't necessarily straight away an indicator of damage. It's more an indicator of threat. And this threat perception is the thing that we need to work with and everything that comes into that. And so when our threat perception, either from physical, psychological or social factors is increased, our experience of pain is more likely to happen because pain is there to protect us. It's a friend. Whereas if our threat comes down, a reassuring, trusted person informs us of a plan that there's certainty now in this process, then all of a sudden our threat 
dial or what they call the protectometer dials down a bit and we can reduce someone's pain. And we know this happens through internal factors. Like we've got a lot of pain relieving chemicals like opioids and cannabinoids inside our spinal cord. And if I make, you know, I've experienced this, you probably have, if someone reassures us in an uncertain moment, um, this can, what, what can happen, we can be flooded with these chemicals and all of a sudden have pain relief just by connection, just mm. by communication with a trusted person. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So when you think about that and, you know, talk about the, if we go back to current context, you know, like for business owners, people who are obviously there's going to be a perception of threat for a lot of people or um, perceived threat for a lot of people uh, financially, mentally, emotionally, you know, and even if not just looking at the news potentially for some people, what may come, uh, how do you, what, what's your go-to like, you know, you seeing this professionally with changes and, um, probably the people that you're serving as well and seeing what's the go-to when you, what's the first step, you know, if somebody's going through this tension or there's that perceived threat externally, is it physical? Is it social? Like what your, uh, does your practice come into it? You know, flesh it out a little bit in terms of what, what you do maybe. And when, when things pop up, when you're sensing that sort of tension. So it comes back to in that moment. And this is where, I get really excited because my yoga and Eastern practice world comes in mm. to help us. And this is where the rehab world is coming in as well, because it, it's it, rather than splitting it up and getting analytical and up in our frontal lobes, biopsychosocial money, all these different factors, you have to come back to our embodied experience in the present moment and acknowledge and feel what's happening. Cause we're only able to adapt and, and filter through and work through a positive strategy moving forward. I feel if we can sit in with the right tools to do that properly, yeah. what's happening in our bodies right now, because when we feel that and get given tools to process that, well, we can downregulate ourselves and bring us out of this fight or flight state that I like many people have been in, in the last few weeks with the changes that have happened and come back to a more safe grounded place where you can make calm considered appropriate decisions for where you're going or what you have to do just today mm. uh, yeah it's interesting i was talking a little bit about innovation lately and um we had this kind of you know big rock dropped on a lot of businesses the ways of operating particularly that one sunday night where it was like you know tomorrow you can't see your people <laughs> And there was this really rapid kind of rush to adapt typically to go online and innovation kind of goes on two fronts. Like it can be like, it can be a forced adaptation, like a back against the wall. So that's like a, um, like a, a scarce resource way of changing to, or innovating. And then there can be the, the, um, plentiful resource, like, like the, um, abundant innovation. So everything's going well and there's a down-regulated nervous system. Creativity can come through and we can innovate by exploring versus having to pivot. And we saw a lot of, as rightfully so, because we had to, we saw a lot of forced um, adaptation or forced innovation really quickly. And 
you know, one thing that I think about is like the sooner we can get back to a more, more relaxed state and then look at the, cause what's happened is really all of that forced innovation is really popped up a lot of same, same where everyone kind of looks quickly sideways and does a, a quick move. And then the next step is like, okay, cool. Are we using what we did as an asset going forward? Are we going to be creative from this place? We're we going to build something long lasting. How are we looking after our people? What's the, what's the shift from here? And so I feel we're in this state where it's been a few weeks and we may have a bit more of an ability now to, to come back to the center and to regroup. But I always feel that that time gap where the thing happened and then we were really able to come back to a place that's kind of centered and grounded. Um, I always feel like it's kind of longer than what we all think and that the subconscious kind of threat is being pretty high kind of at a global level. I wonder if you could talk about any personal thoughts on that. Like how much of that, you know, you said you were in a fight or flight. I acknowledge it. I think me too. I think it's like, you see it pop up in little ways, even if you intellectually know, okay, I have my practices. I know what to do, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it still kind of feels like it's there and um, not in a bad judgy way, but like, I think it's present. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how do we be okay with that? Because it's kind of a badge of honor now to be, oh yeah, I'm calm and relaxed in this place. And I'm still, uh, what's the word? don't just survive in this time, make sure you're thriving. And it's like, I'm like, mm. well, my training's backed off. I'm not exactly thriving, say in my training front, I had to check that stuff and just start walking, right? Like how can we reconcile this and how long do you think that plays out for people based off what you've seen? Cause I, I think it can be, you know, obviously you'll see people with chronic injuries and chronic tension where you'll see this stuff play out for a long time. Mm, yeah. I think, um, yeah, that gap does take a while. And the first thing that came to mind with me for the shock was a valuable lesson for all of us in that sometimes we need the carpet pulled out from underneath us. Like I'm a real uh, avid Zen Buddhist practitioner. I love these ideas and they, the teachers will often pull the rug out of your perception of what you think's happening in your practice and how well you're going and I'll go, Oh no, you're completely wrong with some kind of phrase or moment. And it's this, like you thought what was happening was happening, but actually what's happening now, what's happening now. And it's a never ever present process. And we had to first go, Oh, here's reality. And, and we had this wake up call and what was really important when we're thrown into this fight or flight state, but then calming down is a first, it has to be authentic because we, we too quickly, as you said, get have to sort of idealize the safe, happy, calm place that we all want to be in and make it a duality. Whereas we're all sliding back and forth mm. uh, quite a lot and quite within an hour, within a day, I feel that, uh, you know, I talk a lot with some friends, um, particularly, you know, my girlfriend who's with the psych stuff and her clients about just in the morning you can be in this calm focused yeah, creative place with your your business your family even your personal exercise plan or practice and then two three hours later by the afternoon it's pandemonium and oh the world's falling apart and we're all collectively going through a process of perhaps this is in my field you have to ask a really good psychologist but of grief I, yeah I think. yeah yeah 
yeah and it's like and and to acknowledge i don't know my i from the negative parts of my life you know losing my mum and stuff i realized early on that i had to just feel it and there was and being honest and real about what's happening now is probably the first step for all of us to down regulate however much we can and sometimes that's not much and it's good just to feel what one of my zen teachers said that there's mountains and there's the the muddy you know pits and you need to know all of it mm. yeah it's interesting so how do you uh my next question then you know would be if you were someone who was big into your movement practice you know you were type a in your business you were you had your big um you know fairly strong routine and it was like the 5 30 a.m training and the when you straight to work and uh that was kind of part of your gig and then something like this pops up and it puts a little bit of disruption into it i guess what are some of the questions to if somebody you know because there's like everything for a lot of people things continue as normal maybe and then others maybe not so much um, how are some of the ways that you might artfully kind of look inside or, or bring some introspection or reflection into how that's going for someone and then the steps to kind of get back into it because everyone wants to move? Um, what are some ways to frame it up or back things off? Or how do you kind of look at the whole thing? I mean, maybe has it changed your physical practice or your training at all when you were in times of stress, that kind of thing? Yeah, so my what I've had to do in the last three weeks, four weeks, like a lot of people in the movement and yoga world as a big shift, my whole schedule changed. I'm working different hours now. Um, I've had to completely flip and I'm grateful. I've had to do this a couple of times with uni and just adapting. Uh, and I think well, a really helpful framework and, and type of therapy my girlfriend uses a lot is acceptance and commitment therapy. And I draw a lot from this, which it's ideas originally, to be honest, come out of Buddhist theory and, and uh, ideas as well, where this psychological flexibility is, is the key. And so for those type A people, which, you know, guilty myself, mm. um, you know, need to get everything done all the time forever. I idealize, cause we all want to achieve. There's that, I have to achieve something mindset. And so my highest achievement is to be flexible. Um, there's this saying my, my late mum used to say that I've kept in my mind and it, and it encapsulates everything here, which is blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. I don't know where it came from, but it's this idea that if you can ride the wave as skillfully as you can with the resources you have in the moment, you can feel a sense of achievement. And that comes from understanding what's important to you. So for me, it's, I know that at least six or so days a week, I have to move my body in some way. And I'm lucky to have a variety of options for that. And I'm, and then there's plenty of people to give you options if you feel like you don't have them. So if you're used to barbells and weights, gotta love them. We can't all get to them now. And there's other options. And so it's what's important to me. And then looking at the time and resources available and acting in some way to live a life that aligns with what's important to you, your values. Uh, and I feel like that process works really well. So for me, I've shifted as much as I love doing deadlifts at the moment, I can't. So I've gone back to my yoga practice and I've increased a bit of running 
and I still do some body weight movement gymnastic style strength training and I feel great I feel fulfilled and with my knowledge of how to moderate um, moderate some of my internal states I don't overtrain to the point of pain or injury yeah awesome so uh what's let's talk a little bit about your movement like your own practice your movement your like you've seen it all um you know you've been or maybe not all but a lot of different things uh you've got shanga and you've mentioned you know barbells and movement and uh you know now there's a smorgasbord out there in terms of what you can jump into like talk a little bit about your past what you're into um you know from what i've seen and i'm not an expert but you're fairly high level with a lot of these things uh yeah like what lights you up and and kind of where's it all coming from and going um for me it's like a to have and john ewan has been a mentor a friend and a real uh, to be honest he's my idol i love him but there's plenty of people out there he this this idea that you can have again a range of options a um um, a movement vocabulary and I always love that idea and we can all look back to Edo and his ideas and coming out with that that ability to sort of well can you can you do this or are you stuck in this world and I felt that in my Ashtanga practice I was like I'm having pain in some areas I'm, I felt stuck about 2013-14 and I saw that video and like a lot of guys in their 20s 30s 40s we all went wow and had this wake-up call yeah and I bought a set of gymnastics rings. I started mucking around. I should have got a coach because I hurt myself. <laughs> Did you? But um, yeah, yeah. And in that process, I I came across yeah John Ewan, um, Harry Williams over in Perth, and the online movement uni that I was a part of for a while. Yeah. And and then it just sort of spanned out from there. And so I've developed and and was lucky to learn some body weight strength routines to keep me physically feeling good when I was stuck with a half an hour in the morning to exercise when I was at uni practices or uni placement, sorry, uh, and couldn't do my yoga practice. So I had to shift my dogma of that's what was required. And that was the ideal because mm. there's no real ideal mm. and go, well, I've got this option, this uh, flavor to practice. And I, and I felt great. And I, and I sort of disproved a lot of my previously held beliefs and noticed that what came with this movement world and the vast array of practices was this ability to be flexible. And I love it because if I get injured in my arms, I can go for a run and do leg strength. If I get injured in my legs, I've got my hand balancing practice. And so, I mean, just in terms of what I'm interested personally, I love hand balancing. I'm not as dedicated as I used to be, but I'm getting in some practice weekly. I love my gymnastics rings. I think every nearly everyone should have them if their shoulders are in good health because there's so much you can do with them mm. and hanging and pulling work is essential for particularly the yoga world because there's a lot of pushing and you need that balance and then weights are great i uh through my work as a physio and some conditioning training i learned the benefit of of just of getting some strength work in um particularly for healthy aging. Like this is something I really want to get across. My, one of my uh, I get mentors, I guess, and a friend locally, he's a, a PhD candidate at Bond Uni and he's the kettlebell physio on Instagram, Neil, very smart man. He's doing a, a PhD at the moment into older people and preventing sarcopenia, progressive muscle loss as we age, 
with strength training and he's getting great results. Like I'm hearing 72 year old women doing, you know, 80 kilogram kettlebell deadlifts. And if we bring in some weights and strength training, we can really age well. So with the range of these practices, probably sound like I'm rambling, sorry, but I get really excited by it. No, you know, my, 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 uh, my parents started strength training, say probably my dad like mid to late 50s something like that like he's seven just oh, on one and um strong like and he's getting younger it's crazy and it's i think a lot of it's ah, from so a lot of it's from strength there's mobility and in, in some cycling and stuff but just some basic strength work i see it in both of my parents six uh 69 and 71 um giving a huge uh a huge asset yeah it's pretty yeah. cool and that's like just, I mean, in terms of where physio is going, what I see now is strength training is, uh, depending on who you ask, but from what I'm seeing is one of the wonder potions that we can give people. Exercise in general is great and moving just for the sake of moving is, is, is the main message. But getting some load tolerance and progressive strength training makes you more resilient to everything. Mm. Mm. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, so one thing I'm interested in because, you know, I sort of have hacked my own way through this world of kind of meditation and these sorts of things since the last 10 years or so is a big part of, uh, it's been a big part of my life and something that's very helpful in, in all areas. I want to ask you about it. Like what's your, not specifics or anything, but how important is this to you right now, generally? your own practice, the people that you serve and work with? Is this something, some form of stillness practice, something that you kind of gently encourage everyone to go into? Um, talk a little bit about that. You know, I'm super interested. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's the main thing. Yeah. I've learned and I stubbornly get reminded of this over and over again because yeah. I make missteps, but every day if you there's this saying in zen uh ichi tante just do one thing like how you do one thing how you scroll instagram is how you do everything so if you're like i find myself like everyone scattered and distracted you'll be scattered and distracted when you go to work when you talk with your partner when you hang out with your kids so in the morning when i sit on my cushion follow my teacher's directions i sit and just i mean to be honest it's nothing simple but it's so profound i follow my breath and i rest in the present moment and there's millions of meditation techniques suited for millions of different personalities and stuff and we need to find our own path but sitting and being with yourself and being comfortable with things as they are in the naked present moment mm. is probably the most important thing yeah, I think a human can do because out of that comes the capacity to be kind, to be useful, to be skillful. And so I'll often, I learned this from a mentor of mine, a wonderful physio up in the sunny coast of like 35, 40 years practice, Robin Kerr. She writes for the Physio Network and does brilliant courses for movement coaches and professionals. But she said to me that how you are in the moment has much more of an impact on your clients than what you think you're doing or what you think you're mm -hmm. saying. So I don't necessarily have to sort of, um, what's the word, evangelize or proselytize my practice or say that they should meditate. 
But if I'm in my space and practicing well, I hope to and try to bring that sense of presence and calmness into their body. Because we've probably heard of mirror neurons before and we talked before how we're social. We feed off each other. Uh, you know, we're, we're like our five most people we hang out with, that phrase, we've all heard that. So if I'm trying to be and being myself just in, you know, calm, centered, grounded, rush, send rush, then they do that. And I've noticed changes from that. And I feel that myself when I go to see someone, like when I talk mm -hmm. to my teacher and he's in this sort of space of just presence, really, uh, I, it feels like you're coming home mm -hmm. and it's profoundly human and, and one day I just, <laughs> I can talk about it for years. No, I, I, me too. I a hundred percent resonate. I think it's, it's an intangible yet so clear, um, I don't want to say asset because that kind of likens it to a market or something like that, but <laughs> it, it kind of, it is, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a drawing in, I think when you sense that energy and, um, I think you're right. I think you could be sitting in silence and not actually, uh, teach the, the person too much when they came to see you. But if you had that, uh, presence, I think it can be felt. Uh, for me, there's been times where I've lapsed and the narrative has been, Oh, I've done enough for the last couple of years. I'm going to just leave it for a while. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. um, and it hits hard, like it, not really bad or anything, but it's definitely noticed and definitely the return is uh, not as easy as what you might think for me. And I'm interested, have you gone the same where you've questioned things, flipped out of it only to come back and, What's that kind of journey been like for you or has it been fairly much straight down the line? I wish it was straight down the line, but I am an easily distractible mess. Um, and still to this day, I struggle with it. But um, what I find is that some of my more skeptical evidence-based sort of science-based beliefs have come into uh, conflict with it a bit and so often i'll get to a point where there's and it should do this i think a good meditation practice if it's a lifelong thing that you connect with because it comes down to does it what's your deepest longing in life and usually a meditation practice will last it's the, the test of time if it connects to that whereas if it's a flippant desire to improve or do something it often falls away probably mm. like exercise too uh so I have found that sometimes, I mean, a lot, I'll drop it, pick it up again over the years. And I'm so lucky and grateful to have my teacher here on the Gold Coast, Mark Togney, to, to call up and just and say, like, this is what I'm going through. And much like a, um, any mentor or psychologist or any teacher coach, he, he will bring me back to what it feels like and remind me about what it um, what's really important and it's and then with that I'll, I'll be pretty consistent so recently I've been pretty good mm. um, this, this whole COVID thing like I said before shocked me into uh, a, that scarcity mindset a bit but it reminded me of what matters and yeah you know, when everything's taken away uh, of that Viktor Frankl quote from the wonderful book Man's Search for Meaning when everything's taken away our last freedom is the ability to choose our attitude and perspective yeah yeah. When it, well, yeah, when the rug got pulled out, it was like a very quick 
queue to clean up a lot of different things that you could, right? It was like tidy your home quickly, get your practice, like, cause you, you know, you had limited options and each, each of those options became relatively significant, you know, mm. very important. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome, man. Is there, I mean, is there anything else that you want to, I kind of want to see everything that you're putting together and creating in like a, like a, in a finished form right now to look at it and kind of talk about it. But is there anything since that's not possible, is there anything that you want to talk about in terms of where you're going or things that are lighting you up at the moment? So at the moment, I'm, uh, I just got some, some toolkits there to film some classes for people. So the yeah. first thing to watch out for will be some uh, classes on Vimeo. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, that'll, and that'll be, you know, not just yoga stuff, but specific things around, you know, uh, if there's plenty of handstand coaches out there that are better than me, but for the yoga people who want to listen, I can, you know, beginner stuff around that. But what I'm really building at the moment is this holistic service for people uh, on three sort of fronts. Um, one, education. So I'm building some content at the moment so people can learn about how injuries happen, what really makes them happen and how to avoid them. Uh, rather than what we used to think. And then uh, on the second front, after education, I've got um, clinical work. So I'll be starting up online and in soon, soon when this COVID thing comes down, physical consults mm-hmm. uh, for those who want a holistic approach. And finally, um, practice building yoga classes online and coaching if people need um, in their practice, be it yoga or movement. Uh, and bringing that together, hopefully it helps people live a more unified life so that their body and mind are yeah, I love it, man. It's really, really cool. It sounds like, a, um, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds nice. It sounds really comforting. It sounds like somewhere I'd want to go and check out and, and be a part of. Uh, and also from what you're saying and kind of what I'm seeing a bit of a niche as well. And, you know, definitely potential in terms of the business. And I think your content that I've seen has been really cool. Um, in a subtle kind of way, you know what I mean? Like as terms of your stuff isn't loud and there's not a need to um, grab a bunch of attention because it's simply there. And over time you start to notice the nuance in what you're saying and the trust and attention comes from that in sort of a nice organic way, which I really like. Um, mm, thanks, man. Yeah. So I'm yeah. excited to see you create more, you know, and do more of that. So am I. Yeah. I value people's attention and I just want to give people the freedom back to their bodies that they rightfully deserve and the, and the knowledge to get there. So, um, yeah, keep, keep watching. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for carving out some space. I'll put your details into the show notes, so to speak. And, um, is there anything else you'd like to say to people who are interested in, what they've heard, what you're about, where to go, check you out, that kind of thing? For sure. Uh, my email, uh, Instagram is the best place at the moment. Uh, yep. Website will be out soon, but just message me, reach out. I, I'm happy to just talk and um, Instagram's the place to go. And from there, you'll see everything else. Okay, beautiful. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks, John. Appreciate your time. That's it for this episode of the Access Potential Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one with Ollie. Check out his work. And if you have any specific questions about this one, hit me up at john at johntmarsh.com. Always love to hear from you and happy to address him on one of the next episodes.
See you on the next one.